if you've ever like been in a meeting or in the middle of a podcast and you're like, you have to go to the bathroom, but you're in the middle of something, you just ignore it, right? You just kind of like push it aside for a while, right? And you can do that for a little while. And then finally your bladder's like, no, like go to the bathroom. Yeah. And so we can do that with past experiences that are trapped in our bodies. We can just continue to push them aside and push them aside and ignore them until finally we get that diagnosis. Because I truly believe that trauma can be stuck in the body and manifest itself as diseases. Or we drink so much that we ruin our relationships or we begin to lose jobs and we begin to not be able to function. All of the things that could happen. So anyway, this is just kind of an experience, my experience of what it's like to start to listen to the body and how not being in the body, because it can be painful based on our past experiences to be in the body and how not being in the body can not serve us, right? And how being in the body can really begin to serve us in a way that allows us to begin to heal at a deeper level. Welcome to the 1000 Days Sober Podcast. My name is Lee Davey. I am not an alcoholic. I refuse to be anonymous. I am someone that doesn't drink alcohol. I am an amazing father, husband, son, friend, leader, lover, and master coach. And I spend every minute of the day helping people live kick-ass lives. Boom! How is everybody doing, man? How's everybody doing? We've had some good podcasts lately. Have a real... Really, 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 really real gem today as well. Um, but I just wanted to touch base with you a little bit first. Um, first of all, just let you know what's going on in my private life. For those of you that uh, are not a member of Strive and um, don't hear me talking about this on a daily basis. So I have been in America for nearly two years now. I got stuck here in COVID and while I was here, I thought, well, you know, why not apply for a green card and live here? You know, I'm married to a U.S. citizen. I have a, a daughter with a dual uh, nationality. The only missing equation is me, right? So I applied for a green card. But unfortunately, uh, the young lady I hired to do my paperwork made a mistake. And she forgot to advise me to fill in a form. One form, one piece of paper. So the US government denied my green card and told me to get the hell out of Dodge and uh, don't come back for 10 years. So if I was to leave the US, I would be facing a 10-year ban. All in all, what I've learned is um, when it comes to immigration, the US is pretty sharp at not letting you into this country. Uh, they make it very, very, very difficult. Once you're in here and you're in the application process, which I am, uh, you cannot work until you have a work permit and you cannot travel. So you get stuck here and you can't work, you cannot travel, and all that is must be designed just for you to give up. Um, and, and it's a nightmare, you know, like I haven't seen my son. I physically haven't touched my son in nearly two years, you know, let alone see my mom or my dad or my sisters or any of my friends back in the UK. I have not been able to see them. I've not been able to leave. And um, if I do leave, then I cannot come back here for 10 years, which means, you know, I may never see my in-laws alive ever again because they're in their 80s, right? So it's uh, been a very stressful period of my life. Um, I am now applying again, which means I won't be able to leave here for another 12 to 14 months while that unravels itself. But I wanted to say this, you know, in the last 18 months, while I have been stuck here, I've invested in myself heavily uh, as a coach. And I've just 
graduated from the Elementum Coaching Institute, a six-month powerhouse of a program led and guided by Alexi Panos, Preston Smiles, Stefanos Sifandos, and Christine Hasler. And thanks to them, I am a different man today. And so while I am experiencing a lot of stress and a lot of anxiety, a lot of pressure, the way that I am dealing with it is a lot different to the way that I've dealt with it before. I have a much more expansive emotional body. My window of tolerance of being triggered and uh, reacting in, well, basically out of my inner child is really reduced. And as a result of that, my relationship with Liza and Zia and Jude is just the best it's ever been, right? Like I am absolutely tip top. And if I've learned anything over the past six months in particular with the Elementum Coaching Program, it is the importance of um, investing in yourself and doing the work above and beyond uh, becoming someone that doesn't drink alcohol, right? Because being someone that doesn't drink alcohol, it is a great starting point to, to piece your life back together, but your jigsaw pieces don't just automatically fall into place just because you stop drinking. There are a million and more people out there that don't drink alcohol that are miserable as fuck. That is not what it's about here at 1000 Days Sober. That is not what it's about at Strive, right? We want to help you to raise the bar all over your life right? To be more conscious, to grow that window of tolerance, to be less triggered, to have a more expansive emotional body, to heal yourself so you don't spew your um, hurt on other people, as they say, right? Hurt people, hurt people. Hurt people, hurt people. So get your healing done. And there's a multitude of different places you can do that, but I would like you to come here. All right, so email me at 1kdaysober at gmail.com if you want to learn more about the work that we're doing, either to join our Strive community and our Strive family or to do some personal coaching with me. All right, now, my next guest is Liam McQuaid. Liam McQuaid is a transformational life coach with a passion for helping people overcome obstacles, tap into their potential, and create a life they love. Like many of us, Leah's journey towards her transformation has had a lot of twists and turns. She vividly remembers her first taste of freedom when she recognized she had everything she needed for total liberation within herself. She loves helping others remove the barriers to their own freedom and liberation and guiding them to see the power that lies within. Leah is a master certified coach and has a master's degree in occupational therapy. She specializes in women's health. She holds numerous certifications in shamanic studies and various modern and traditional yoga styles. And Leah blends her unique life experiences, knowledge and skills to guide people in removing blockages that might be in the way of living a full and vibrant life. Through groups, one-on-one coaching, yoga experiences, virtual online portals and shamanic healing sessions, Leah inspires people worldwide to find the strength and courage to begin their healing journey and clear what stands in the way of them and their dreams. It's in the healing of the wounds and pains of our past we shine our light, find our unique voice, and live our most authentic lives. Leah is a soulpreneur, traveling junkie, activist, outdoor enthusiast. She's traveled to over 40 countries, recently spent 18 months touring North America with her husband in an RV and loved every minute of it. And you can find more about Leah at leahmcquade.com. That's L-E-H-M little C Q U A D E dot com or Leah McQuaid1 on Instagram or Leah McQuaid on Facebook. 
Uh, Leah is an exceptional coach. Uh, she was a buddy of mine in the six-month Elementum Coaching Institute program. And I wanted her to come on to talk about the difference between living in your brain, living in your mind, and living in your body. Because the feedback that I got consistently from my peers and my master coaches in this six-month container was, Lee, get out of your head. Lee, you're in your head again. Lee, get into your body. And at the beginning, I was like, what the fuck are these people on about? I don't know what they're on about. And by the end of six months, I started to get it, and I spend a lot more time in my body than I do in my head. And it is a powerful, powerful uh, realization and tool if you want to be someone that doesn't drink alcohol and live a kick-ass life. So without further ado, I'll shut the hell up. I'll leave you in the capable hands of Leah McQuaid. Leah McQuaid. Yes. Hi, Lee, Davey. How are you? You nearly caught me doing a strip tease for you then. Hey, that's fine with me. Do your <laughs> this, thing, Lee. Do your this, thing. This room, you know, like the, the podcast lifestyle, the podcast host lifestyle, it's not all Joe Rogan, you know. You know, there's what do you not mean all, by it's that? Not, well, it's not all air conditioning. And I remember when I was in Cardiff, I would actually put my laptop on an ironing board and I would sit by the ironing board. Here in LA, for some reason, I have a phobia of fans. So every time mm. I put a fan in, it breaks. Mm. Like, I don't know how many fans. I, so I, I had to shut the door because I live in LA. And of course, there will be a leaf blower continually <laughs> blowing leaves from one place. to Someone pays somebody to blow leaves from one side of the driveway to the other side of the driveway. I never see them pick them up. I never see them move them away. They just walk around listening to probably me on a podcast, blowing leaves around. So I can't open the and window. Bothering you. So I'm boiling to death. And I drink tea because I'm British. Okay. And you're, and you're on here as well, which is giving me some hot vibes as well with those super sexy glasses. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yes. Yes. And then I realized when I tried to put something else on, like this shirt, I literally, let me show you something. This is really funny. Right there, don't move. Oh, you can't see this if you're not watching the video. But this is my clothes. Where's the closet? There ain't, well, I got so fed up with Zia's clothes being everywhere and having to pick clothes for her. All my clothes were in the bottom. So I'm like, you know, I'm going to put all my clothes in a box, put all the gazillions of clothes in a bottom drawer. And instead of fighting with her every morning over what she's going to wear, I just say, wear what you want. There's your drawer. Sort yourself out. But I, I, haven't, I haven't moved from a box. So nothing's ironed. Feel a bit trampy. I think you look great. I bet your stuff isn't in a box, is it? No, no. But we did just move. We did just move. So... Actually, my closet is in a box right now because we did just move and we don't have our dowel rods up yet in our closets. Ah. The builder didn't put them up in the closet yet. So actually, my clothes are still in boxes. So there, Dude. there you go. Me, me and you can both be walking around the house going, been living in a box. Dude. Been living in a cardboard box. Been living in a box. I love it. So... We're both living in a box. So I got you on to talk about the difference between being in your head and being in your body, right? Yeah. Yeah, so, I love this topic. Yeah. So 
you know, you go first. Let's just riff on it, but you go first. You know, what, what does it mean to you? What's, what does it mean to you to be in your head? So when I'm in my head, I am planning, I'm organizing, I'm doing things, I'm intellectualizing, I'm being cognitive, right? Which is important. We need to do that in life. We need to be able to plan and organize and do all the things. However, when we're in our heads, all of the energy is up here, right? And we forget that our wisdom, um, our intuition, our feelings all come from the body. They all come from the inside. And so being in the head to me means just thinking too much, overthinking, overanalyzing, and being too much in the doing, the planning, the structure, the linear type of living. That's what being in the head means to me. Mm, I like it. What does being in my head mean to me? Let me just think about that a second. I guess, I guess for me, when I became someone who doesn't drink alcohol in circa 2008, 2009, the way that I did that was a head thing, right? So what I did was I checked in with my paradigm around the value that alcohol provided me. So I asked myself, okay, why, why can't I stop drinking? And I didn't ask my body. I asked my head, like I was mm. rationally thinking, why did I, why did I stop drink? Why can't I stop drinking? And then I made a list and it was mm-hmm. things like, and it was things on that list. Like um, I couldn't watch football without having a drink. I couldn't go out with my mates without having a drink. Drinking relaxes me and chills me out. I love the ritual of like stopping off after work and having a pint with my mate Basher and Stuart at the time. Drinking allows me to loosen up and, um, and to be more fun. <laughs> Drinking allows me to handle people who I don't like and situations I don't like. Drinking makes me a sexual Tyrannosaurus Rex. So mm. I would write this list of stuff down. And then I said to myself, well, is that true? And I'm still very analytical. And I go through this list in my mind and I'm like, holy shit, this is not true. Like these things that I think alcohol does for me, it actually doesn't. If I change my paradigm from instant gratification versus long-term health and prosperity, and then my desire to drink alcohol went away. Mm -hmm. So So then I created a course called the Stride Method which was at the time entirely head-based. So I I actually managed to help 62% of people who graduated not drink for a year plus just by working on their head. Yeah. Your thoughts are on that. Yeah. You know, I think there's a lot of value in that. There's a lot of value in the structure, the linear, the cognitive, the intellectualizing, the planning. Like I said, we really need that. We need that. We couldn't function in this world without it. However, we're doing ourselves a disservice and we're not fully stepping into our fullest capacity if we leave out the body. And I truly believe that the deeper level of healing to really get to the root cause and for sustainable change and transformation, we really have to get into the body. So absolutely, mindset stuff, 
it'll get you to a certain place, mm-hmm. but to really go that step further and to really heal at the root cause, I think we can't ignore the body. Yes. Okay. So let's tap into that. Cause I think it's really important. So I need an immigration lawyer. I'm pretty fucking quickly because otherwise I'm out of my ass. Right. The American government doesn't want this immigrant in this country. Right. So I okay. need an immigration lawyer pretty quickly. So, you know, you go to Yelp and you look at review, you're looking at reviews, right? Like cost, obviously, but like, you know, you, you're not going to go one star because it's cheap, right? So you want to be like four or five stars. You're looking at reviews, right? And I think that's the way we do things, right? We're stuck in the middle of nowhere. We want to go to a restaurant. We look at stars. Okay, okay. What are people saying about this thing? Well, think about a sobriety program. Think about somebody like me who's given up drinking alcohol and has thought to himself, you know, this is really super powerful. I want other people to do it. So then you create something. We created the Strive Method. And then you put it out there and people take it. Mm-hmm. But what is your metric? Like, what is the five stars? What is, what is it that people say? Well, normally people say, wow, I finished it and it was amazing. It was great. It was wonderful. This changed my life. Five stars, et cetera, et cetera, right? Mm-hmm. But that is six months. Six months of changing your paradigm around alcohol's value, Okay. But it's not just that, right? Like the reason I drank alcohol wasn't 100% because I had been designed from birth to drink alcohol. Massive, massive reason, like massive reason culturally, if people, people in the UK, people in the US, people in Australia, New Zealand, Europe, we are designed from birth to drink alcohol. It is as normal as drinking water. That is a massive part of it. But then there's another part of it where you tap in and say, okay, well, if alcohol has no value and we've done that intellectual exercise, what the fuck am I drinking for? And then I realized, well, I'm addicted. Well, why am I addicted to it? Part socialization, but then part inner child work, part trauma, part fuck, I'm shouting at my wife all the time. I'm screaming at my employees. I really don't want to be with my children. And those things don't change when you stop drinking alcohol, right? Over to you, Leah. Over mm. to you. Well, you said a lot of things in there. You know, you said a lot of things in there. Um, that the one thing that I want to highlight here is this whole idea of conditioned beliefs, right? So you mentioned that drinking alcohol, part of your addiction is that it's just part of the the conditioned belief. It was something that your culture, right? Whether your, mm. your parents or the larger culture you live in believed in, and it's just this socially acceptable thing to do. And conditioned beliefs, as well as the trauma you mentioned, right? They all live in our body. So- mm. This is the important thing to to remember as we're looking to heal and really get to the root cause is these traumas, these conditioned beliefs, toxic shame, even for example, right? All live within the body. These are experiences that happen to the tissues of our body. And it's a different way of expressing and understanding healing, but there's a lot of research that's demonstrating if we don't go to to the source, if we don't go to where these identifications, where these experiences, where these beliefs really 
come from if we don't go to the source and where where the blockages really are then we're not really necessarily healing at a deeper level we can heal the beliefs and the paradigms and we can we can begin to shift our our mindset around some of these things but for the true transformation i really believe that we have to go to where these ideas these traumas these experiences are stored and it's within the tissues of the body let me give you an example and then tell me if this fits into what you just said then. So okay. if so in my if my experience, there's a part of me when I woke up when I was 35, and actually the strife method was actually it was that created out of anger. I, I was 35, I stopped drinking because it was ruining my marriage. And then when I when I when I really thought about it, again thinking, and I was like, holy shit, like. I actually didn't get much of a choice in terms of how I was drinking or not, right? That got me really angry. But then when I listen to what you say, I think what happens then is you have to say to yourself, okay, this culture exists, right? The programming exists. So we call, we call it alcoholism, like this invisible, violent, and dominant belief system that just makes it normal, right? Let me give you an example, actually, of the normalcy of alcohol, right? This is true to sorry. Last night I went to bed around 10 o'clock. I'm trying to get eight hours sleep and be a good guy. Um, I'm really struggling. I know I need to be in bed for like nine, nine and a half hours to get eight hours sleep. Couldn't sleep, reading a book, and I hear a kerfuffle outside my window. Straight into sympathetic nervous system, body activated, danger. Put my book down. I look outside the window quietly, and there is a car parked opposite my house with his door open, so the alarm's going off, and the guy is shirtless, and he's falling all over the place. The only thing that's stopping him falling is the car, and he's taking his shoes and socks off, and he's washing his feet whilst trying not to fall over. The guy's smashed, right? Absolutely smashed. So I start going into, how can I protect my family, just in case he's going to be an idiot. I kind of figure out in my head he can't walk, so he's not a threat unless he has a gun, right? So I'm like, okay, I can handle this guy if there's a problem, but I don't want him getting in his car and driving off because he's going to like kill somebody or kill himself. So I rung 911. The police come around. He's in his car. He starts his engine. He turns around to face them. Now we've got a standoff on a cul-de-sac. I'm thinking, oh shit, this guy's going to ram the police car. Now I start to put my clothes on ready. I'm like, this is going to kick off, right? It's going to be carnage in a minute. The police car pulls alongside this guy who is absolutely smashed. They exchange words. The police car lets him drive off. The guy drives right and goes down the street, absolutely smashed. And then the police car turns left and disappears the other way. On some kind of brainwave state, this police officer felt that it was okay for this guy to drink when he couldn't even stand and he didn't even ask him to get out of the car to walk after I told them that he couldn't walk, right? Anyway, that's a side issue. That is the culture that we're in, right? So this kind of like thing like baffles me because like I'm all of a sudden I'm like, okay, I'm drinking because I'm like everybody else. I'm following everybody else. Now, here's the switch from the mind to the body then I think is, okay, why is that happening? 
Why am I like everybody else? Why is it so uncomfortable for me to say to my friends, I don't want to drink alcohol? Why is it so uncomfortable for me to go out and drink water? Why do I feel so uncomfortable and threatened now I'm not drinking when I'm in a pub or a club? Why is my sympathetic nervous system activated? By the way, I didn't even know what that was back then, but I'm just ready to fight and to defend, right? Now, all of a sudden, I guess I'm feeling things that I never felt before, probably because I'm drinking and I'm kind of robbing myself from those senses. But also there's a deeper part of the work, which is like, oh, there's a child in me that needs to conform and be like everybody else because he's so ashamed and so terrified to be himself. And that child doesn't live in my brain. That child lives in my body Mm. in terms of trapped trauma. Is that what we're talking about here with my massive tangent? Yeah. Yeah. You know, the healing work of the inner child, like you expressed, comes from inside. It comes from um, knowing who you are at an internal level, which is all part of the somatic work that that somatic you know coaches and somatic therapists work with. It's about being in the body. But you also talked about something interesting that I want to come back to. I'm going to circle back to, you know, you said, so I'm getting into the body piece now. And I wondered why, 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 why? Well, if you're asking yourself why, you're still in your head, right? Because you're still asking a question, right? Uh So that really isn't about being in the body. If you're asking these questions, you're you're still in the head. Mm. But when you do start to form a relationship with your inner child, it requires us to get out of the mind and begin to tap into the inner child within us because experiences from our past when we were younger that affect us today as we're adults happen from the place of the internal body and they happened from the past. And so we have to create enough space within the, within the mind and body. We have to create this space away from all the thinking to really tap into the inner child within, which is, which is part of the work, right? Like part Mm. of the work is, is getting out of so much of the why and the how and the doing and the structure and the linear thinking and the organizing and the planning and the worrying and the criticizing we get, you know, a lot of part of the large part of the work is getting that out of the way so we can tap into the deeper healing of the inner child, for example, if that's where the healing needs for us to go. Right. But Mm -hmm. the healing, yes, all of that, the inner child and the healing really comes from the inside and comes from this understanding of our somatic body. Okay. I want to give you um, a real life example of something that happened to me recently. And then you can analyze it as a coach in terms of like brain body thing. Right. So okay. I, I had um, somebody uh, I'd listened to my podcast and they reached out to me for a, uh, what we call a choose yourself call. Right. So I want them to choose themselves and invest in themselves to do personal coaching or take one of our courses um, to really change their life. Right. So this, this, uh, this wonderful, beautiful gentleman gets on the phone to me um, and I start asking him, like, why? Like, why are you on this call? And he starts to tell me like a horror story and a horror story that I hear every day, you know, that um, he had ended up um, in a divorce, ended up in a custody battle um, over his child and um, couldn't get to see his son as much as he wanted to uh, because his um, wife had... Um, um, got the rights to see his child more than him. Um, he ended up going to jail. So he ended up getting into trouble and going to jail. 
his mother died and he got like um, uh, really stuck in the grief of all that. And he was drinking every day, um, eight to nine cans, uh, half a bottle of vodka, a bottle of wine every day. Wasn't sure if he had a problem, right? Wasn't sure if he had a problem. And when I told him what I could do for him, and this is what I, I roughly what I said was, okay, if you want to work with me, then what we're going to do is we're going to work on all the, the stuff underneath the iceberg, right? Like we're not going to focus on stopping drinking alcohol because we need to look at the reasons why you're drinking alcohol and work on those. And I can tell you, because it's no different in every case, right? Um, we will end up doing some inner child work. We will pick up some trauma. Um, we will do something called parts work. We will identify how that got frozen, allow some emotional release, and really start the process of reparenting yourself. So you can now show up for your son, for yourself, uh, for the next partner you fall in love with, your friends, your employees, and everything, right? Um, how does that sound? And the guy turned around and said to me, well, I don't have any of those problems. I just want to stop drinking alcohol. Once I stop drinking alcohol, I'll be okay. Now, I get that all the time, right? Mm -hmm. So talking about what we're talking about, about mind and body and the difference between them two, what's going on with this guy, do you think? Um, and if we were helping him, what's the difference between the mind work and kind of the body work? You just start off on that and I can jump in as well and have a few words on that. Well, interesting. So... It sounds like he just hasn't quite made the connection yet that alcohol is covering up these deeper wounds and these deeper pains. That's what it sounds like to me, right? He just hasn't quite made the connection yet that his behavior, which is this alcoholic tendency, right, is how he's coped with probably acutely the his death of his mother right and you know is hiding not only that his inability to really grieve his mother but it's also hiding some of these deeper um probably traumas that he has because traumas wounds pains whatever you want to call them from the past mm. right and so um it's really about him being aware of that so his lack of awareness of that is that attributed to the fact that he's spending too much time in his head and he's not accustomed to feeling in his body? So like if he was more of a feeling nature, more connected to his felt sense and his intuition, then he would be putting those pieces together. But because he's not, it's, it almost feels like, I mean, I'm doing, a, I'm doing a, like a cutoff sign here on the video. It's almost feel like he lives in his head. And this, there's almost like a guardian on his throat preventing him from like going anywhere near his heart and his gut. Yeah, yeah, certainly. I think that that's, that's a, a good thing to, um, to bring up. I think this is a really good thing. But also with him, you might start with the belief, right? Because you have to kind of build some trust and some rapport. And before you can actually get into the deeper heart and into the body. But at this point, it sounds like he's not even in the head. He's not even asking the whys though. He's not even stepping in the, into the curiosity piece yet. To me, it doesn't sound like he's even on board with the healing process. That's what it kind of sounds like to me, but maybe if you give me a little bit more background, or if I had a little yeah, bit more interaction with I, him, I, I could. 
I was I was feeling when I was talking to him, he's curious because he's on the call and he's actually trying to find out if he's got a problem. So yeah. he's he's in the first stages of finding out he's got a problem, but mm-hmm. then the the thought that there could be trauma or anything to do with his past is not in his is not in his, pa- his paradigm. It's not in his 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 view of the world is like this, and that stuff that I'm talking about is out here. And I, and I particularly see that with men, and I mm-hmm. particularly felt that myself as a man. Almost like a defensiveness to it. So if someone said to me back in the day when I was drinking or trying to stop, Lee, you know, you've got to get in your body, mate. You've got trauma trapped there. There would be a part of me, probably unhealthy masculine, which would be like, no, there's fucking nothing wrong with me. There's nothing mm-hmm. wrong with me. I'm, I'm all right. I'm like, I'm managing fine, right? Mm-hmm. How, how does that happen? How can we have so many people be like, not even know, not even know? Yeah that there is this trauma trapped mm. in their body. Like it's, they buried it so, 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 so deep mm. that there's almost like a guardian there. Like yeah. it will not, will not let them go in there. Like, how does that yeah. happen? Yeah. You know, Lee, that's interesting because that was my story, right? Many, many years ago, I, before I started doing this work, right. I, got all of the signs. I too was alcohol dependent. Right. And I, was starting to develop a lot of physical symptoms, um, gut issues. I wasn't sleeping. You know, my my life was just basically crumbling in front of me. Right, my health and my job was. I didn't like it, and I was. I had this esoteric, you know, sort of um, crisis going on. And it wasn't until I started to. Hit, well, I hit rock bottom, right? I mean, I hit rock bottom for the second time in my life. And so I really, truly believe when you hit rock bottom, there's no place up, but no, nowhere else to go but up, right? And so I just began to slow down. You know, I really started to slow down my life and began to just ask questions and go inward. And I tell you what really helped me was my yoga practice. Mm. My yo- yoga was the first a regular yoga practice was the first experience where I started to ask what it meant to be in the body. Cause there were lots of yoga instructors um, in my life who would say, listen to your body, listen to your body. I don't know if you've had that experience or if any of your I, listeners, I, I, I have something to share when you finish for sure. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So the whole be in your body thing um, was foreign to me. So for me, I too ignored, I had no idea. I had no idea that I had had some um, abuse from my past. It happened at a really young age. And so it's really common for people to um, disassociate from those, those memories, mm. right? Um, it's a coping strategy because it's really difficult um, to remember and, and have these things happen to you. So the, the way that we cope is we leave the body and we disassociate from those memories, right? And so we leave the body, but the imprint of those traumas and those experiences are still within. Mm. Um, it's just our experience of it is outside of the body now because it's too hard to be in the body. And so then we go about our growing up, um, we go about our lives and then we come into adulthood and we have all of these other challenges that are kind of piling up around us. And that's when oftentimes 
you know, we ignore the signs Mm. like me. I ignored them. Like there were lots of signs that were pointing me into a different direction in my life and telling me I needed to slow down, but I ignored them. I ignored them until finally I hit rock bottom. Right. Mm. And there was no way up, no way I can hit any further down. I could only move forward and move up. And um, for me, it was the the yoga practice yoga Mm. and, and really listening to my body. So when I started to slow down and really be curious, what does that mean to really listen to my body? Right. What does that really mean? Um, and I started to understand different sensations that were going on inside my body, because that's really what it means to be in the body is to understand this felt sensation. And so we all know what it feels like to go to the bathroom. We all know what it, you know, like to have that urge, right? We all know what it, what it feels like to be hungry or thirsty. So these are kind of superficial experiences in the body. And so if you've ever like been in a meeting or in the middle of a podcast and you're like, you have to go to the bathroom, but you're in the middle of something, you just ignore it, right? You just kind of like, push it aside for a while. Right. And you can do that for a little while. And then Mm. finally your bladder's like, no, like go to the bathroom. Right. Yeah. And so we can do that with past experiences that are trapped in our bodies and we can just continue to push them aside and push them aside and ignore them until finally, you know, we get that diagnosis. Right. Um, Because I truly believe that trauma um, can be stuck in the body and manifest itself as, as diseases right? Or we drink so much that we ruin our relationships or we begin to lose jobs and we begin to not be able to function, right? Or um, all of all of the things that, that could happen. So anyway, this is just kind of an experience, my experience of what it's like to be start to listen to the body and how not being in the body because it can be painful based on our mm. past experiences to be in the body and how not being in the body um, can can not serve us right and how being in the body can really begin to serve us in a way that allows us to begin to heal at a deeper level. If you want to be present with your children, if you want to have a loving, intimate relationship with your partner, if you want to excel in your job, career, or vocation, you want to quit unhealthy habits or behaviors like alcohol, want to navigate conflict with grace, want to learn to trust you, want to handle emotions with ease, want to build a relationship with all the parts of you, or want to live a self-led life, then Lee Davy has three spots open for personal coaching with the master coach himself, for October, reach out to him at 1kdaysober at gmail.com to sign up. Now, back to Leo McQuaid. Just want to acknowledge you and um, thank you for sharing your story. And I'm really oh, sure. sorry that you went through that abuse. And it's uh, unfortunately so common, you know, and, and um, you know, and it's, it's part of the bigger, broader problem, I guess, of humanity. But, you know, you, you said uh, some interesting things there. Two things. Actually, I think yoga is a really good example of this. When someone's saying to you, like, I, I get this a lot. Lee, you're too in your head, right? I, I get yes. that a lot, right? Uh-huh. Um, and this is a good example, yoga, of that. So in the beginning, it would be very confusing to me. I said, what do you mean I'm in my head, right? Well, if you think about yoga, when I go to yoga, full confession, right? I haven't been to yoga for a long time. First time I went to yoga was in L.A., with uh, lighter took me. So think about this now, right? I grew up in a small mining town in Ockermo Vale in South Wales of 8,000 people. All right. We didn't really have yoga. If we did, it would be like in the pub 
on some dirty, smelly floor, probably, right? And we wouldn't be doing it right, right? It's like it just, it, back then, it just wasn't a thing. I come to LA, and the first time I ever go to yoga, it's hot yoga. <laughs> there were a lot of beautiful people in LA, right? So I'm in yoga, and my eyeballs, when everyone's doing the downward dogs and all this kind of, my eyes are like fucking going everywhere. There are all these beautiful women. I don't have a clue what I'm doing. I can't see the instructor. I'm trying to look at the instructor so I can see what I'm supposed to do, right? And this is, a, this is an exercise that people use to get into their body. And in that, in that moment, I'm, I'm just in my head. Like I'm not in my body. I guess for me in that case to be in my body is to just say, okay, Lee, you don't know what the hell is going on. You cannot see the teacher. Just move your body. Just do what feels right in that moment. And, and, and that would have been me getting out of my head and into my body and just moving. But the fact that I'm thinking I need to follow this person and be right and do the right thing, I'm just up here. So yeah. I, I wanted to use that as an example. The other thing that I just wanted to say was, now when you mentioned about um, busting for a pee, it made me think that it's not that we are so disconnected from our body that we can't feel because if we're hungry, our body will tell us and we will feel it. If we want to pee, our body will tell us we'll feel it. If we're horny and turned on, it's not a mental function. We will feel it. We will feel it, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it seems to me like, so we know how to feel, but it's the, it's the no-go areas that we have disassociated from, that we've hidden in coffins somewhere deep inside our psyche those are the aspects that we can't feel. And it's almost like we develop these parts of us that protect that. The, you cannot feel those. You can feel hunger, but you cannot feel getting beaten up as a kid when he's in school. You can talk about it. You can have the memory. We'll give you that. And you can tell your friends that you got battered when you was a kid, but you can't feel the shame and the humiliation and the embarrassment and the fear you can't feel that, but just tell the story. So we can mm -hmm. feel, but there's a, something else going on that's blocking certain feelings. Is, is that about right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that blockage is going to be different for everybody, right? And this is where the gaining rapport, gaining trust, finding safety, right? Safety is really important because I would imagine that it's part of the blockage is not feeling safe, right? Because if your body was abused in some way, right? Um, your body is a place of insecurity, unsafety, right? It's not a place where you can go to and trust and find safety in if you've got some, some history of, of trauma and abuse within the body. And so a big part of the work in the beginning is really finding that safety and helping clients feel safe within their bodies. So there's, there's different levels of safety, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so that would be considered also in, in each of the coaching sessions, right? Is where, where is this person's level of safety being in the body? And if somebody is going into story a lot, if somebody is expressing through words and always wondering why and asking those questions, um, then, then I know like, okay, that's, that's, that's 
a level of, of insecurity within the body. Right. And so, so yeah, it's gentle process, a very gentle process. And it's all about finding safety in the body as, as a, a coach of ours says, Lee, healing is the safety, right? Safety mm. is the healing. That's what he says. Safety yeah, is the safety. healing. So it's all yeah. about really feeling safe in the body. And on the safety side of things, I think um, for me, trying to do this work alone is really is um, is really difficult. I, I I think that maintenance of this way of being is is very doable once you get over the hump of almost like changing your way of automation from operating in a world from a very mind based rational, logical, we could even say masculine kind of like energy, unhealthy and healthy into more of a a feminine, a felt, a receiving kind of like energy. To try to do that yourself, it can be done, but it's like really challenging. You know, you can, you can read the books, um, you can do some courses that you attend and stuff and that are not coaches, like yourself, you know, like do it yourself. Like Strive Method is a is a do it yourself course with a peer group community and some coaching. You take away the coaching and a peer group, it's just a do it yourself course. It can work, but there's a part part of me that's saying if we want to accelerate our growth and do it in a safer way, then it's the best to seek out a guide. So for me, there's a an external safety element of. Am I going to trust Leah? Am I going to trust Lee? Am I going to trust the Strive community? Is really important. But then I think there's an internal safety um, tick box, I guess, is, and maybe we can talk about parts work a little bit, is understanding that when I'm, when I'm really anxious, a part of me takes over and wants to drink alcohol. Mm-hmm. So there's a part of me in that moment that wants to drink alcohol. And the reason he wants to drink alcohol is because that part of me wants to keep me safe as a whole. It doesn't want the anxious part to be seen because it's weakness or whatever, or it's going to open trauma and Pandora's box and we're going to feel really uncomfortable. So that part is trying to protect us by having a drink. But there is a almost like um, the true self, the soul, the very essence of who I am, who has been not allowed to flourish and not allowed to be seen and witnessed and to experience life. So let's just say Lee Davy has led a has had a part-led experience, my fragmented part, my my ego fragmented into different parts. And for 46 years, those parts have really made my decisions and be my emotions, et cetera, et cetera. And every now and then the true who I am is allowed to emerge, right? Now to do this work, those parts Let's just focus on the part that wants to drink alcohol. The part that wants to drink alcohol has to feel safe with the truly Davy. So now that's an internal thing. So let's say I'm working with you as a coach. Mm-hmm. I need to feel safe that Leah, I feel safe that you're going to hold space for me. You're going to witness me. You're going to see me. You've, you've got the capacity to hold my uh, emotions, not get triggered yourself, all that kind of stuff. But then there's the internal part that, okay, if my true self cannot allow this part that drinks alcohol to feel safe. It doesn't matter how effective Leah is. In fact, I guess one of your big roles as a coach is to actually guide me and to help that connection form between the part and true self. 
Yeah, I love that you've brought up heart work because the true self, the higher self that we work with in parts work is inside. It's inside the body, right? It's it's a, a felt um, experience, and so someone trained in in IFS will help you find that 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 self, that higher self first before going into these different parts because these different parts are protectors, like you said, or they're managers or they're firefighters, right? Remembering alcohol oftentimes is more of a firefighter, um, mm-hmm. you know, putting out the flames um, and of all the other sort of things that are going on. So IFS is very um, detailed, but I love that you brought up the, the, the importance of finding the higher self and finding that part of you that is whole, complete and compassionate and wise and creative and kind. Um, and it's, and it's within you. So I do love parts work. It is an internal process and it is about being in the body. Absolutely. So a good coach will help you find that, um, will help you find that. And that's the center. That's the core from where we work from. So if the true self, we veer off of finding and being and feeling in that true self, it's about bringing as we're doing parts work, right. It's about coming back into, into that true self and just helping, helping you tap back into that internal experience of, of, of your higher self. Mm. And for people yeah. listening to this who uh, who who are probably like me when I was drinking of 35 or just coming out of that, when I was like literally I'm in the matrix and I'm just getting pulled out of the matrix, like your higher self, your true self, your soul might feel a little bit airy-fairy, right? So for me, the way I look at my true self is um, when I'm writing or I'm in course creation mode and I'm in a state of flow. And time well, you're high. Just, I, I got to pause you real quick. I got to pause you real go. quick because you said the higher self feels airy fairy. Well, that's a judgment on the higher self. So the higher self would never have any sort of judgment on you just mean like finding the higher self. Is that what you mean? Like I'm, I'm saying that um, when, if I would have been on this podcast, when I was struggling with my alcohol, Mm-hmm. My my highest stroked true self wouldn't have even been able to listen to this. My part, my part would have who wanted me to drink or another part, it would have poo-pooed higher self. So it would have turned me off from listening. I would have said, I'm not listening to this guy. He's yeah, he's talking about something that's not in my paradigm. So what I'm trying to do is is give some examples of what I'm talking about to help somebody yeah. who is just li- literally about to switch off. <laughs> Gotcha. So it's very similar to the guy we we talked about, uh, a client of yours who called in and yes. said, I just want to quit drinking alcohol. Very similar. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. So another example would be um, when I'm absolutely present with my kids, I'm present mm. with them. I want to play with them. I'm not looking at my phone. I'm not thinking about the end of that time. When I'm at my most beautiful, best and present with Liza in that intimacy, in that connection, when I'm doing things to serve and help others, when I can give complete and utter devotion and space for somebody who has something that's really going on for them and they need me there, those are moments when I I believe that my true self is emerging and my parts are quietened. And so I just wanted to put that out there for anyone who's thinking, what's he on about with his he's chuffing higher self. I, I don't, I don't recognize that. We all have moments like that. However, when I scream and shout at my wife, that is a, that is a part that is reacting to something she said, which triggers some sort of 
um, biological memory that is type tapped into my cellular structure. And all of a sudden she becomes my mom, right? I just, I'm just this child. She's my mom and this thing's kicking off. Um, and I found when I was drinking, that was how I was behaving most of the time. Like I, I there was glimpses of true self, but 90% of the time it was parts operating and very powerful parts, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I'm a believer that anytime you have, you're under the influence of any sort of substance, um, you know, unless plant medicine, plant medicine is a little bit different, but I, I feel like, you know, if your ability to really tap into that higher self, because your higher self is really coming from, from source energy or universe or spirit or God, right? It's that with li- which lives within us. And when we cover, we, we cover that up in a sense, when we ingest certain, you know, substances, right? We, we don't allow that, that channel to hear the divinity within. Um, it gets clouded when we, when we mm-hmm. are under, under the influence of different substances. So mm-hmm. I had a I had a guest on the show. Her name is Zara Sita, and she um, she said that she would go to nightclubs and she would see people's souls leave their body but be tethered when they drank too much. She would see it. She said, "Yeah." So I always liked that metaphor because it was it applies to the true self. It's like we intoxicate ourselves, and then the true self says, "I don't I don't want this." So the true self leaves because it has to, because it's so intoxicating, but then the parts take over. It's almost like Jekyll and Hyde. And then at some point after we've thrown up, after we've like gone through that hangover, then the true self comes back into the body and then it has some opportunity to take over. But so I love that. I love that metaphor that, that she used. Um, yeah. Well, spirit, were- spirits came from the idea of the spirits leaving the body. Right. The, yes, it did. Yes. Yeah. Alcohol. Yeah. yeah. Yes, exactly. You, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, yeah. I think that actually that's what she said in, she wrote a really good blog, blog post about it. So it's really, really interesting. So for somebody who is, so just to be clear, just to summarize, right. So what we're talking about here is you can listen to a podcast like this. You can hear me saying, Hey, come and come and take the strive method. of people are not drinking after a year, and you can come and do that. And you may be one of those 62% of people who are not drinking after a year, but that doesn't mean that you're still not being triggered by your wife, that you still have problem parenting, that you're still going down the club and fighting with people because you have all this anger and energy, don't know what to do with it, and that you feel apathetic and nihilistic and just think life is shit, but you've stopped drinking alcohol, right? So in order to kind of like, what on earth is going on underneath that? Now you're talking next level, which is, okay, I need to work with somebody to help me actually feel, feel these experiences and have these emotional releases. You could talk about emotional release in a second. Not a 46-year-old Lee rationally getting it and going out into the woods and screaming, but the 10-year-old boy who was called the chink and not supported by his parents that 10-year-old having that experience, being witnessed, being seen, being allowed to shout or beat up a tree or whatever it wants to do, that then takes you to the next level where you're actually now able to kind of like grow your emotional body, your capacity to hold and to feel. And now when you can do that, 
when somebody behaves in a way that used to trigger you, it's less likely that it will trigger you, which means that person, if it's your wife, your husband, are going to love you more, going to trust you more because you're not acting like an asshole anymore and everything kind of gets hunky-dory, right? So that's where what I'm kind of talking about. Now, over to you, Leah. How do we get from, how do we help somebody who's listening to this and they're like, yeah, okay, I kind of get what you're saying, Lee, I think, but I'm, I'm not quite sure how to get from here to there. If you were coaching them, Leah, why would you work with them and what would you do to help them make that transition? Yeah, no, that's a really great question. And I, I think it's really important to just backtrack just a little bit and talk about the nervous system, right? And so when I talk about trauma being trapped in the body or experiences, negative experiences, pains or wounds, whatever you want to call it, being trapped in the body, it's really being trapped in the nervous system. And so it's the nervous system that doesn't, doesn't forget. And so our nervous system oftentimes will be reminded of this event, something very simple in our environments could, could remind us of that event. And it triggers inside the nervous system. And that's what that sympathetic nervous system reaction will, will happen, right? Where we fight, flight, freeze, or appease. And so we can begin to tap into that feeling that happens within the nervous system when our sympathetic nervous system is, is, activated. And so when that system is activated, we tend to go into either arousal, hyper arousal or hypo arousal, right? And they sometimes can be like a pendulum going back and forth until we really get ourselves self-regulated, right? Until we can regulate ourselves, we can sometimes be in this sort of hawk brain, right? That's very familiar to you, Lee, right? The the hawk brain where where we're, we, we want to fight it out. And when we're in that state, we don't focus very well. We don't learn very well. We tend to be reactive, right? And so this is where we run into quite a few of, of the problems in our everyday lives, right? Because we're reacting to our wife instead of staying calm and present and, and being curious and asking, you know, and trying to figure out the problem. Same with the kids, right? This is when we can get really mm. reactive. Um, and so then we can go to hypo, which is the opposite, where we get really lethargic and unmotivated. And so the thing that we really want to work on is, is finding a balance. And, and really, actually, I say balance, but I don't know if balance is really a thing. Um, I, I think finding balance is just something else to get us into our mind and try to like cognitively figure out. So I don't really mean balance. I think what's really important is to to understand the nervous system at a a sensitive, a more sensitized level. So we can then intervene um, with strategies and tools. So when we do that, when we begin to feel our body going into sympathetic nervous system, we can intervene with self-regulation strategies. And when we do that, we begin to build our window of tolerance. So our physical bodies can literally hold more. So oftentimes when we're in our sympathetic brain, when we're in the fight, flight, freeze, or appease, right? We, we will react and we'll respond and um, we're, we're not learning. We're not open to new things. Um, and so it just causes more problems within our lives. But when we can stop that um, system by listening to the body, when we're in that sympathetic or about to get into that, that arousal pattern, and we can intervene with things like physical movements. We can do deep breaths. Deep breaths are my favorite because we can take the breathing. It it goes wherever we go. Right. Um, Mm. so I love the deep breaths and teaching that right away. 
um, is one of the strategies I use um, in my coaching to teach people right away because you can take that with you. Um, yoga, like we talked about, breath work, singing, eating, bringing in the five senses. So really taking time to just taste that strawberry, really taking time to listen to some calm music. I mean, there's really a lot of self-regulation strategies. And that's really where I start with a lot of people who aren't familiar with being in the body or don't find the safety within the body. It's like intervening when you start to feel the, the water in the pot boiling and you want to take the, the water off or turn the stove off before the water boils over. Because once it boils over, it's like dragon lady, right? I come out as like dragon lady yeah. when it boils over. And then that's when all of the problems tend to happen in the external environment. So if you can sense that something's really happening within, intervene, bring in some of these self-regulation strategies before the, the water boils over, right? Then you're, you're more able to first step into difficult situations without reacting, staying cool, calm, and collective. And it gives you the ability to hold more of those challenges in life. Because here's the thing, we're always going to have challenges. Always. If you're in a human meat suit, you're going to have challenges because that's what happens being human beings, right? In this modern age, we, we have challenges mm -hmm. that we have to overcome in some sort of way. The problem is we're also in our sympathetic arousal patterns that it's hard for us to self-regulate until somebody says, Hey, you're in it. You're in the pattern. What is a strategy you can mm -hmm. use? Right. And there's so many strategies. I just touched on a few of them, um, you know, today, but I hope that that, that answered your question. It does. It does. I mean, Hey, it's on the hour. Do you have to go? Um, I can do, I can do a little bit longer. But probably have to wrap right. up. Let's yeah. just I've, let's say like five, five minutes. Let's minutes? just say five minutes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so perfect. because I, I think this is important, you know, be, long before I understood anything about sympathetic nervous system and parasympathetic nervous system, which is something that we teach in the Stride Method, I just knew I was triggered, and I just knew that people who were coming to me, their problem was being triggered. If they yep. weren't triggered, then they wouldn't have to drink. Okay, so so I wasn't until. Like I learned about the um, the nervous system that I realized, oh, so that's what it means to be triggered is when we actually slip into sympathetic nervous system state. So what I'm hearing you saying is uh, one of the things that you do when you work with people is to help them to understand that there is an autonomic nervous system, how it works. And then once they have that knowledge kind of in their brain, I guess, you can then help them get the felt sense by doing some practices such as breath work. A good example is like every hour setting an alarm and then just stopping what you're doing and just how am I feeling in my body, right? Like doing a body scan, for example, just getting used to that. And then you can grow an awareness of when you start to feel irritated, when you start to feel sad, when you start to feel apathetic, when you are start to be a little sarcastic. And it's kind of like, oh, I actually in the minor stages of, of uh, being triggered. So I might be dancing now on that tightrope between parasympathetic and, and sympathetic, or I may be in sympathetic, but you, you're, you're aware that it's going to happen. And then at that point, you're teaching them to raise that awareness, but you're also teaching them, hey, sometimes you're going to feel low and down and lethargic and shitty and slow and fatigued. And other times you're going to be like hyper and anger and rageful, right? So we need some strategies 
for when you're like super hyper and we need strategies when you're super hypo. And I'm going to teach you how to do that. And if you do that effectively, you can just do what the human body is designed to do, surf and ride those emotions and that feeling, and then get yourself into a more regulated state. Then you won't need to drink alcohol, right? So, because most most people that I work with, actually, they don't have a 24-hour drinking problem. They have a five o'clock to a seven o'clock problem. So if they could work with you to prepare them for that five to seven, it's like a game plan from five to seven about self-regulation, then that desire to drink will disappear. And I guess over time, it literally just your new way of being in regulation replaces the compensatory strategy of just going to drink alcohol because you no longer need it, right? Yeah. And it's also what is that desire to drink alcohol telling me? So you're filling a need, some sort of need by reaching for that that glass of wine every night. And so it's learning also how to give yourself what you need what is that first of, what alcohol. is it that you need yeah. without the alcohol so give give yourself that same need but in a more mm. healthy way yeah i had a um one of our stride members actually she's um very rarely drinks but every now and then she'll get triggered and she'll drink and she's like lee i still have this value right and i said to her the other day when in the build-up to drinking, what emotion was you feeling? Like what emotion was driving you in that moment to drink? And as I find very frequently, she couldn't name the emotion. That's another thing that I, I always find. She mm-hmm. couldn't name the emotion. She would describe what was happening, but couldn't nail emotion. I yeah. got her to nail as joy. She she wanted to experience joy. And I said, Well, how often do you? want to experience joy and drink alcohol and then get your perceived joy. Yeah. It's like a married made in heaven for me. Well, what other ways can you experience joy? She, she reels off a list of 50. So it's okay. What if we practice doing some of those things and not the alcohol? And then you go into different kind of grooves. Like, well, actually I do experience joy having sex with my husband, um, but I'm not connected to him right now. And then that's another strand of work. Or I do have joy going to yoga, but I feel really uncomfortable going there because I don't like the way I look. That's another strand of work too, you know? The, so the alcohol becomes your best friend that's never going to ask any questions, never going to let you down. You just you just drink it and boom, you get everything you want in an instant. But you need to think be thinking of it long-term like is this really giving me what i need long-term and it isn't because you're always cycling around to it you know mm-hmm. yep absolutely mm-hmm. and we've both been there right we've both been absolutely. there absolutely and we yeah yeah we both we've both been there we've both used alcohol as a compensated strategy we both thought that it was providing us so much joy and by doing the work consistently you can see oh actually hang on this is not providing me what i need and I have everything within this beautiful skin suit and this soul, and whichever way it's put together to handle all of life's problems. Leah, thank you very much for coming on. If people want to work with you and learn more about the nervous system, learn more about getting out of the head, getting into the body, um, how can they get all of you and start working with you? 
Yeah, thanks for asking. So my website's a little under construction right now, but feel free, you can send me an email at info at leahmcquade.com. So that's L-E-A-H-M-C-Q-U-A-D-E. And you can find me on uh, Leah McQuaid one on Instagram, Leah McQuaid on Facebook. And I would love to offer your listeners a free session, a free 30 minute session. Um, if that interests any of your listeners, feel free to just send me an, an email info at um, leahmcquaid.com and we'll just go from there. And um, hopefully about a week or two, my website will be back up. It's uh, just a little bit under construction right now. So boom, but yeah, boom, look, boom. Yes. And get it free, free. Yes. Get, get the free session. I would love to connect with some of your, your listeners. And I do have a a Facebook group, free your wild, um, which is really tailored mostly to women, uh, really just badass women who live in their heads. Um, and so it's all about getting into the hearts and into the body and removing the barriers that are preventing us from really stepping fully into our authentic, expression and living our dreams. And so that's, that's the work. That's the work. I love it so much. Um, but any of your listeners, I'd love to give a 30, 30 minute session too. So jump all over that info at liamacquaid.com. Well, we, we have a lot of badass women in this community or are in their head. Uh, and that, and I think the reason <laughs> they're attracted here, Leah, is I spent so much time in my head myself. So they, you know, they relate to it. So I've just yeah. come through a six month coaching container with Leah. Uh, she's now a master coach. I know how incredibly powerful she is and the ability has, she has to really help you find uh, that lost power within you and the unused resources you need to really get going. So check out Leah. If you can't remember her email, then just email me at 1kdaysober at gmail.com and I'll get you in touch with her. Um, Leah, keep up the good work and uh, yeah, keep making your vibrational change in the world. I love you for doing it. Thank you very much for coming on today. Thank you, Lee, for the opportunity. Okay, okay, okay. That was Leah McQuay talking about getting out of your head and into your body. And if you want to do a little bit more of that stuff in real life, want to be someone who doesn't drink alcohol and live a kick-ass life, then get to www.1000daysober.com and sign up for a Strive subscription. Why should you do that? You will get over 120 coaching videos that make up the world-class Strive Method. 62% of people who have graduated are still not drinking after one year. You get access to all of our Marco Polo groups, our family Strive. Marco Polo is a video recording app where we communicate with each other. We have male groups, female groups, small intimate groups, and we have our main group. You will also get access to weekly get-togethers with the Strive family on Zoom and one a month with me for 90 minutes on Strive Live. I will be teaching a concept of the Strive Method to you live and opening up for Q&A once a month, okay? Get over to www.1000daysober.com. Sign up now for a subscription. If you don't like it, you just pack it in, cancel it, get your money back, whatever, but just start, start today. See you over there. Take care.